It might be well if we go to the Lord in prayer first. Our Father and our God, we give you thanks that you proved our, your love to us by demonstrating it. And what a demonstration. You sent your Son, your only Son, to die in our place. Our Father, we recognize that somehow the unseen world has taken note of this small little flock and is extremely interested. We would ask that with healing in your wings, you would come and heal this gathering of believers. Help us. Help us now. We're, we are weak. We are simply dust. And we're reminded of that every day. Help us, our Father, by thy Holy Spirit. In the Lord Jesus Christ's name we do pray. Amen. We are in Numbers chapter 11. <clears throat> we're on, we were on Mount Sinai, and all the lessons that came our way there. And now they're about to depart Mount Sinai. If you go back to chapter 10 and verse 33, it bears that out. And they departed from the Mount of the Lord three days' journey, and the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord went before them in the three days' journey to search out the rest of the place for them. And then chapter 11, verse 1 says this, when the people complained. Now, you've got to get this into perspective. They were three days' journey out of Sinai. Now, you who are biblical learned will know what happened in Sinai. There were lesson after lesson that God might prove that he is sovereignly in control. And there were times when, when God allowed things to happen. And there were other times when he stomped on it and stopped it in its tracks. We're going to see that today. And yet three days out, the people revert back to complaining. They're about two years out of Egypt. And in, in Deuteronomy chapter 1, it tells us this amazing fact. You say, this cannot be so. From Egypt to the promised land was an 11-day journey. And they were in it two years here, and so they had 38 years from Mount Sinai, 38 years they were going to trudge through that desert in search of the promised land. And, and those people that were trudging through, minus just a few, were going to die in the sand. 
They would never even get there. You, you could call Israel the nation of journeyers at this point. That's all they did was journey. And, and yet we look at our, our own lives and, and the way we're living. This is nothing more than a journey. And, 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 and a perfecting process. And, and when we look at these people and they're murmuring against God, you say, oh, will they ever stop? I, I hope you can say that in all honesty, but I can't. I pick up this portion and I read these words. And the Lord heard it. And, I, and it becomes fresh to me. Because I'm the worst of all complainers. And, and then I check it. I check it by the Spirit of God. I check it. I stop it. And then I go right back to complaining again. Because I really don't believe the words of chapter 11, verse 1. And the Lord heard it. So all the time I'm going through this pity party, this this, oh, woe is me, oh, man, alive, look at my plight in life. Isn't it special from yours? God is hearing it, just like he did with the nation of Israel. Now, I want you to see something. We've got to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. We're going to put this whole thing into perspective. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 is, is important. This is... So important. We, there's some people, oh, it's, just, it's just important. Let, let, look at this. Starting in verse 1. Moreover, brethren, I would not that she should be ignorant. How that all our fathers were under the cloud. Now, who are they speaking of? It's pretty obvious. The nation of Israel. And all passed through the sea. And were all baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea. And did all eat the same spiritual meat? And did all drink the same spiritual food? For they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and this rock was Christ. But with many of them, God was not well pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now these... Hey, look at this. I want you to see this. This is important. Now these things were our, for our example to the intent we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. So Paul walks into the Corinthian church and he sees everything going on so absolutely well. It's just a picture-perfect church. Everyone's following the command of God. They've aligned their will with the will of God and everything is going forward. False! He walked into the Corinthian church and he said, Man, how fast have you left all that I tried to teach you? And I say, oh, 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 you bad Corinthians. Hey, but listen, oh, bad me, same stuff. It's like this, this journey. It's a journey. And, and, and we keep going before the, the Father in heaven with the mediator as our Lord Jesus Christ and, and pleading, Father, forgive me for this nasty 
self-centeredness complaining. It stinks. It's awful. And you know what? So we're all going to walk out of this place, go through those doors. Lesson learned. Like one plus one is two. And one plus one is, is still two. And lesson learned, right? Wrong. We're going to come back afresh. In my case, uh, 40 years later, after I'd been saved, 45 years, I don't even know, after I'd been saved, and sit down and read uh, Numbers chapter 11, and I'm going to say, oh my goodness, is that fresh for today or what? He knows us. We're made of but dust. And so that's why we keep going back over these things. They're, they're taught in, in the scriptures. Uh, uh, Paul was very, very, very much, you know, cognizant of what was going on. That's why he brought it back in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 as a lesson. He said, look at this. Look at this. Let's go back. Let's see it in action. Paul said, I have learned. Learned. You, you learn something. What, what do you learn? You learn things that naturally come to you, like when there's a big platter of beautiful, lovely food, you go eat it. I have to learn how to eat it. No, I have to sit down now and I have to, no, you don't have to learn that. That's natural. When it says learned, it means it goes against our natural grain. And Paul said, I have learned that whatever state I am in therewith to be content. Where did he learn it? Well, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, he went back to the Old Testament. He began to, to, to rehash this story once again. And then he, he took certain things in his life and he checked them at the door. Now you say he's on a plateau that none of us are. I'll probably agree with that. Because Paul could, could be there in the midst of a fellowship and enjoying sweet communion with other believers and, 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 and imparting the word of God and what's... What sweetness? There's nothing better than that, right? And then he can be content in an old cold dungeon just the same. In an old Roman prison. That's a learning process. And it never ends until we get home. And the Lord Jesus Christ puts his arms around us and says welcome home until we are in his presence it will continue so help us by the spirit to learn oh don't jump off the ship don't get off too early don't become so discouraged in this, in this, this thing. And, and you finally just say, you know, I give up. I, keep, I keep going over the same ground over and over and over again. I, I can't find any real victory in this. You know, I just give up. Stay at it. Stay at it. Stay at it. Stay at it. And if in 40 years you have to pick up Numbers chapter 11 and you have to be reminded again, thank the Lord for the word of God. You know, it doesn't, it, you don't look at it and, and now it's kind of bent a little towards 
you know, it kind of excuses a little bit of what we did. You look at it, and it slaps you right in the face, just like it slapped you in the face the year before, or the 40 years before. It keeps hitting you. With the big fat hammer called truth. Praise God. Or we could just walk like the rest of the world walks. We choose to follow the Lord. So the Lord heard it, verse number one. And it says, And the fire of the Lord burned among them and consumed them. So here's where God decided this will stop. And he puts his foot down. They call that place Tibera. And, and you know, it's, it's interesting that you can almost follow the nation of Israel by where they were. It's, it's almost as though it was a map uh, 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 that journeyed their failures. You have Mara and Tibera and Meribah. And later on, we're going to have uh, another one, Kibroth Hittava, another failure. Are we any better? I'm not sure. I hope you are. Maybe there's someone out here that can tell me. Because it just seems to me that we keep going, we keep going, and we keep getting closer and closer to the image of the Lord Jesus Christ as the Holy Spirit dwells within us and does its perfect work in us. And then in verse number four, it says, and the mixed multitude. And I want you to notice, and the mixed multitude was among them, and they fell a-lusting. And the children of Israel also wept again and said, who shall give us flesh to eat? And, and, and then God goes into this description of manna in verse number seven. And, and what he's basically going into is he's trying to remind them that this was the perfect diet. You know, there was no scurvy or rickets, you know, which you get when there's something lacking in your diet. It was the perfect diet. It was all that you needed. Lust. When we absolutely turn our backs on the perfect provision of God, that's what lust is. When a husband is found looking at another woman, he's saying, God, she's okay, but not good enough. That's lust. When the manna just wasn't good enough, and, 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 and what they wanted, they, they, they wanted the spices, they wanted the cucumbers, they wanted the melons, they wanted the leeks. Give us, give us that garlic. You know, we had that garlic back there in Egypt, and, and, and oh, man, it, it was just wonderful, wasn't it? God was basically saying, you, you don't need any of that. Do they forget that the taskmaster's whip across their back? 
do they forget the, the bondage and the tears? And, and, and yet, you'll find this. We've had individuals who have basically not verbalized it, but they turned their back on the fellowship, and they said, I'll go back out, and I think I'm sure there's something out there that's worth going for. And they walk right back out in the world again. And the world takes them and beats them and whips them just like they did in Egypt. And somehow all we can think of are, are all those things that we thought were just so appealing. And we know the word of God tells us there's a, there's a certain appeal about sin. We, we understand that. Not satisfied, you see, with God's provision. And so they went a lusting. It was a mixed multitude. And, and the Bible is clear that the mixed multitude, you'll, you'll see them. It, 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 they stood, they, they, they stayed outside the camp, as far from the presence of God as is possible. They stayed way out there. And, and then they started throwing things around and, and murmuring and, and complaining. And complaining is quite contagious. It, it, is, it is contagious. There, there's no doubt. Even, even a spirit-filled person uh, can be caught up in, in complaints. Oh, yeah, yeah, you know, that, that is true. Boy, that's good. That's, that's true. We can get caught up in, in this complaining just, just like they did. And they began to, to roll the, the masses to their favor. And then Moses does something that is a bit uncharacteristic of Moses. Was he wrong in doing so? Absolutely. He took complaining and he added to it complaining. And complaining and complaining is no solution. If by hearing complaints, we turn around and have our own agenda full of complaints, that is no solution. And that's exactly what Moses did. Verse number 10, then Moses heard the people weeping through their families, every man in his door of his tent. I, oh, man. You know, th this don't look so good. Th this really stinks. I mean, can you imagine this? This is what you saw. You saw all the men coming out to their door of their tents, and they're all crying like a bunch of babies. We want meat to eat. We're tired of this manna. Who was speaking? Clearly, it was the voice of the enemy. We're tired of this manna. And then Moses responds in what I believe is an uncharacteristic way for this great man of God. And Moses said unto the Lord, Wherefore hast, this is verse number 11, Wherefore hast thou afflicted thy servant? Why are you afflicting me, Father? And wherefore have I found favor in thy sight, that thou layest the burden of all these people upon me? Have I conceived all this people? Have I begotten them that thou shoulderest say unto me, that you should say unto me, carry them in thy bosom, as a nursing father beareth a suckling child, 
unto the land which thou swearest unto their fathers. Moses was saying, you know, I am really getting sick of it. And he begins to return complaints for more complaints. It's no wonder God didn't just go down from heaven and just strike the lot of them and end it right there. But God is merciful and long-suffering and desirous to forgive and continue on. And I am not able, verse 14, to bear all these people alone because it is too heavy for me. And if thou deal thus with me, kill me. That's what he was saying. He was saying, basically, if you're going to keep me in this situation, dealing with the complaints of these people, just take me home. I've had it. Now, you can get to feeling like that, I suppose. But I don't think Moses had any right, really, to respond that way. It was very unproductive on his part. And the Lord said, verse 16, And the Lord said unto Moses, Gather unto thee seventy men of the elders of Israel, whom thou knowest to be elders of the people, and the office over them, and bring them unto the tabernacle of the congregation, that they may stand there with thee. And so, uh, just to go down, because for lack of time, he, he has allowed these seventy men to come alongside Moses, they're given the Spirit of God, which I find absolutely interesting because you're not going to do the work of God without the Spirit of God. In other words, these people were absolutely useless in the state that they were in. But he took from Moses and he gave them the Spirit that Moses had. And then they were equipped to do the work, not before. There's nothing more devastating than for a gathering of individuals or a gathering under the Lord Jesus Christ as the head of the church to, to, to be in a leadership position, and there is no real evidence of the Spirit. But God supernaturally dealt with this situation. And then they, they cried and they cried and they complained, we want meat to eat. And verse number 18, it says this, and say thou unto the people, Sanctify yourselves against tomorrow, and ye shall eat flesh. For you have wept in the ears of the Lord, saying, Who shall give us flesh to eat? For it, is, it was well with us in Egypt. That is open blasphemy against God. It was well with us in Egypt. They were in bondage. God is patient, long-suffering. Therefore the Lord will give you flesh, and ye shall eat. Ye shall not eat one day, nor two days, nor five days, neither ten days, nor twenty days, but even a whole month, until it comes out your nostrils. Sometimes... God gives us what we ask for. I've seen it in the lives of many as I've gone through my Christian experience. What their desires were, the desire, the real downright, though they may not verbalize it, they may not have word, they may not put it in words, but the desires of their heart were this and this and this, and God gave them the desires of their heart. And it sends leanness to the soul. 
hear a story of a farmer had chickens. And he had a dog that liked to eat chickens. Not a good combination on a farm. And every time he caught the dog, either the dog would still have the chicken in his mouth or the chicken would be laying on the ground all bitten up and dead. And he'd go get that dog. And finally he decided one day this woman do. And he took the chicken that we, he caught the dog with in his mouth. And he took duct tape. And he dropped that chicken down about its throat and wrapped the duct tape around the chicken and his throat. And the dog went out for the next month. Can you imagine the stink? The dog couldn't stand himself. But when he finally untaped that chicken from that dog's neck, that dog never touched a chicken again. I think that's what God was doing here. You want meat? I will give you meat. And supernaturally, he caused a wind to blow, and, and the quail came in. And I always, I, it always just intrigues me how you get these, uh, I guess these guys that have this more scientific mind than me, and, and, and they'll try to explain that. If God wants to bring in millions upon millions upon millions of quail, he will do it. Why do we need an explanation for such a thing? He brought in a ton of quail to where the Bible says that he, the one who gathered the least, it was 60 bushels of quail. And so they took this quail and they began to, I mean, there must have been feathers flying everywhere. They went crazy is what they did. And, and, and they began to, to get this quail uh, dressed out, and then they laid it out in the sun so it would dry. And it, it was really the only way to preserve such a thing. And they ate it, and they ate it, and they ate it. Until it was literally coming out their nose. And it's just like this, the kids that drink soda, and then you, you've seen it. I don't need to go through that. Right? It's pretty gross. It's pretty literal in the Bible, it seems here. In fact, I speculate here that what was going on, because it does say that God judged him after that. He went in and he said, this is enough. I've seen enough of this gluttonous behavior. And he judges what is going on. I, I suspect that probably what they were doing was eating and then regurgitating so that they could eat more. It, 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 it was done later by the Romans. And in the Roman culture, it was not uncommon. So was open gluttonous. And then it says this in verse number 31. And there went forth a wind, verse 30, 32. And the people stood up all day and all night and all the next day. And, and they gathered the quail. He that gathered was, the least was 10 homers. And that's about 60 bushels. And they, and they spread them out abroad themselves. And while the flesh was yet between their teeth. When they were sitting in this, this, this gluttonous revelry that was going on. Ere it was chewed, the wrath of the Lord was kindled against the people, and the Lord smote the people with a very great plague. And he called that place Kibroth 
hata Allah. We all have those places, don't we? And God deals with them. Our little kibroth hata of us in our lives. Where we allow ourselves to just go beyond and sink into our deep lusts. And God judges. God deals. Sometimes with a light hand, sometimes with a heavy hand, his will be done. But God definitely judges. And then chapter 12, you have this, well, just more bad news, really. For the, this, this became even closer, and, and you can see the footprints, you can see the fingerprints of the enemy here. How that there would be great, be great discouragement with Moses over the complaining of the people. But you know, you could always point your finger and say, well, that's that mixed multitude. You know, we really should have dealt with that mixed multitude right away. We should have dealt with that problem. And, 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 and all that would have been uh, handled. But there's great discouragement. And then chapter 12, you, I, you know, you would think this would be a, 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 the sunshine coming out and, and, and great encouragement for Moses. It's worse. It's worse. Because here's his own sister and his own brother, both older than him, by the way. And, and they're questioning his authority. They did it on the guys that, that Moses had married an Ethiopian woman. Uh, apparently, Zipporah was gone at this time, the, the Midianitish woman. She probably had died. So he, he married an Ethiopian woman, and, and, and that's, that's kind of the smokescreen of the thing. That isn't really the real facts. What they were saying, basically, is, who died and gave you all this authority? Who made you leader over us? Now, I want you to notice verse number four. God sometimes uh, does things in a very kind way and, and kind of moves us in at times, but other times, you better look out. And here's what he did. And the Lord spake suddenly. Wow. Unto Moses and unto Aaron and unto Miriam. Now, listen to these words. Boy, I'm telling you what, when I got a bad report card in my house and my dad said, come to my room, I'd like to die right there. I knew it was coming. How would you like this? It says this, come out you three, all of you. And they were brought right into his presence. And the Bible says the cloud dropped down. Wow. I mean, I, I, I just, ooh, it's serious business. And the Lord came down in the pillar of the cloud and stood in the door of the tabernacle and called Aaron and Miriam. And they both came forth. And he said, hear now my words. If there be a prophet among you, I, the Lord, will make myself known unto him in a vision, and I, I speak unto him in a dream. My servant Moses is not so, who is faithful in all mine house. With him will I speak mouth to mouth. 
In other words, what God was basically saying is, I have chosen this man, and you are way out of bounds by doubting that choice. It's my authority that placed Moses where Moses is. He's not faultless. We just saw that. He complains and grumbles, just like the nation did. But, but this is my choice. Whoa. And then we know what happened. Miriam is struck with leprosy. And verse number 13 says this, and I went through this very quickly, but I'm out of town, time. And Moses cried unto the Lord. Now, I want you to notice something about Aaron's response. Now, this is very interesting, I think. This is what Aaron said. When he and his sister are standing, and God is right there dealing with them. Um, verse four, uh, four, suddenly uh, came unto them, under the tabernacle, and the Lord came down in a pillar of cloud and stood in the midst, Aaron and Miriam, and they both came forth, and he said, hear now the words, and he goes through, and he tells Moses, with, uh, with him will I speak mouth to mouth, and he goes through that. And then the anger of the Lord was kindled against them, and he departed. Now, Aaron's response, why am I not saying that? Somebody help me here. Verse 11, and Aaron said unto Moses, now listen, alas, my Lord, thank you, alas, my Lord, I beseech thee, lay not this sin upon Miriam. You know, if you, if you study this out, and I challenge you to do that, you're going to find out that Miriam was the oldest sister. She was the voice piece against Moses. It almost appears as though Aaron was standing in the back. Miriam was the one. She's a prophetess, the Bible says. She was the one voicing her concerns against the authority of Moses. She's the one that spoke up. Now, Aaron had every right. He could have easily done this at this time, but he had watched his younger brother respond the way he responded time and time and time again. Moses never separated himself, except for the scene that we have here. There's a little hint of that there. But in most cases, it was always my, us, we, it was always inclusive with Moses. Aaron saw this, and his response was, I beseech thee, lay not the sin upon us. He learned the lesson, didn't he? He learned the lesson. Wherein? We have done foolish. We, we, we have done foolishly, and we're in, we have sinned. Now, man, this is where the old, the old humanness would, mm. Moses could have said, mm, you deserve it. You spoke against my wife. You're jealous of what I'm doing. You're jealous of the role that God gave me. Now suffer with that leprosy. This is Moses' response. And Moses cried unto the Lord, saying, Heal her now, O God, I beseech thee. That is true leadership. He never separates himself. He could have here. And then the, the, the whole camp had to stay in that place for seven days and until Miriam was pronounced clean. And so she had to, to sit and watch the whole camp being seated, waiting for her. 
kind of humiliating in a way. But God is merciful. He heard the cries of Moses, undoubtedly the cries of Aaron, and he healed her. Our God is a merciful God and long-suffering, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. I am so glad. After, after God nailed me with this passage and, and just started hammering on me again, I am so glad that, that we have a merciful and long-suffering God. Willing to, to forgive, absolutely willing to forgive. All the little situations in life where we, where we begin to rehearse and we say, well, I've, I, I've, I've fell in that hole time and time and time again. I've hit that hole so many times. God is still willing to forgive. Until that day when he lays his arms around us and he says, journey complete and what a blessed day that'll be journey complete enter now into the kingdom to him be the glory forever and ever amen and that we might walk by faith and less by sight let's pray Our Father, now help us until journey is complete. We're stumbling. We're bumbling. We're full of faults. We're full of difficulties. Full of problems. But there's a process going on. Help us to stay in that process. That day by day by day we might conform to the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. Until that day, our Father, when either by a trump or by death's call, we are taken home and placed into the arms of the Savior. Home. Home. It's not heaven. It's in the presence of the Savior. That's home. Wherever he is, that's home. Help us by thy spirit, our Father. Help us to walk in a way while we're on this earth that, that we might be living testimonies to the glory of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And it's in his name that we do pray. Amen.